It's better than last week. It was better than last week. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to season two, episode four of the Burncast. Episode cat three. It's uh, it's very nice to be with everybody here today. My name is Ben Drew, and I'm joined by (laughs) and another one. That's not Pitbull. That's DJ Uh, Cal. That was a reference to the joke that Haley made this morning. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. All right. Ben Drew, and I'm joined by... Benton Gallagher. My name is Tyler Smith. And we have an actual successful podcaster with us. <laughs> Jade Malone. So uh, we're very excited to have Jade with us this evening to share all of her insights and humor with us. And this goes out to the people, the small people that said, you guys are sexist because you haven't had a woman yet. Well, we've done it now. So <laughs> we're mostly referencing one person. We've we've been trying. Yeah, we have. It's not that we haven't been trying. It's just you know how you're trying to line up people to come. It's just how it works. Busy schedules. Brittany. <laughs> I feel like Brittany and I could be friends. Yeah, <laughs> she's a nice person. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show. Uh, and in all, as always, this show is brought to you by Heritage Breweries. Um, this week, we are sipping on a little um, pineapple wheat, uh, yeah, beer, <laughs> because it's beer. Uh, it's based on their popular Ocean Breeze Hoppy Wheat. This beer has plenty of hoppy flavor and aroma with additions of pineapple and a, and of a refreshing, crushable beer, perfect for a sunny day on the patio. Or anytime, like in the middle of winter in a garage recording a podcast. That's the time. The time is now. The time is now. The safe word, wheat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, before we recorded, Jane, could you, uh, Jane, could you give us the, the information you gave us? Um, so pineapple is actually the most common safe word. The most common safe word. What's your safe word? Pineapple, of course. <laughs> <laughs> My, mine's meatloaf. Meatloaf. Because like I singer? do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. I couldn't. I didn't realize he sang that song. I, don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, I was making the singer reference. I just had no idea it was to that song. <laughs> they can come back. Well, two or three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, um, yeah. So we welcome Jade in here. Uh, you want to just give us a bit about yourself? Uh, we'll dive into it a bit more later, but who you are, what you do, what you like. Um, <laughs> I have to edit this part. This is That's all right. Hardest, question. This is the hardest question. Um, I'm Jay. I'm 31. I like long walks on the beach now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I'm a boudoir photographer and podcaster and currently in school to become a sex and relationships coach. Sex and relationships coach. So uh, we'll get into that. We'll get in the, uh, the nitty gritty of that in a, in a bit. But that's the time. Um, I'm going to throw it there. I don't get. I don't get very much feedback as far as hey, hey oh, this this coming up episode. I had somebody message me and say, "Your Instagram keeps me going." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, 
Okay. Like I'll your Instagram? That. Um, the boudoir. Oh. Not so much me. This, this is this is a reference to the post that we said we got Jay Malone coming on, and they're like, "Oh, cool, you got Jay Malone, awesome!" And like, I very, did get a, a, a similar message from a buddy of mine tonight, and he was like, <laughs> "Instagram's a good follow." <laughs> so, so you, we might have got you a few random followers tonight. Do you get Do you get a lot of Do you get a lot of feedback you don't want? Like we we talked a little bit earlier, but do Do you get a lot of that? Do in Doing that type of photo shoot and putting get, that online. I get a lot of feedback in general. From the women, I get a lot of positive support because yeah. it's relatable, basically. Um, from the men, there's there's different camps of men. So there's some who are loyal followers but will never like a photo ever because they're terrified of like the stigma of, like, oh, he's a creep. He mm-hmm. liked that sexy mm-hmm. photo. Um, but then I get people who just don't care that they're creepy and tell me creepy things and shoot or shoot find my number and <laughs> message me and track just, me down yeah track me down yeah do like people message when you're post because you do post pictures of the people you take photos of yeah do oh, people message for like because you don't post their face a lot of times unless they've obviously you know what it doesn't matter i just recently learned that people are zooming in on fingernails and toenails cross-referencing it with the nail lady's Instagram to figure out who's in the photos. This is CSI. This is what people are doing? <laughs> this is what people will do. I Sometimes it blows my mind. It's a picture of literally like a booty and nothing else. No identifiable marks. Nothing. And people will figure out who it is. It's shocking. And are they coming back? Are they sending you a message? Hey, is this Benton Gallagher in the thumb? <laughs> Most commonly, the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) They they definitely ask me, and I like I cannot give them that information. First of all, I'm not going to put my client at risk like that. I don't know who you are, and I don't know if you're a serial killer or not. Well, if they're zoomed in, cross referencing nails and toenails, they are serial killers. They are. They haven't yet, but they will. will But you do get like, hey, is this so and so? Oh, all the time. Oh my god. Yeah, which is just insanely rude. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Just, just want to, like I can I just don't get like the like what what are they thinking like is it like does it, do they think it's gonna work? I don't understand. This is the my obsession. pathway to hooking up with that person. Yeah, that I can't see their face. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know. It's a lot of times it's women. It's oh because it's so um, because okay. So is it people catty? looking at the nails? Is that women? That's women. Okay, I was gonna <laughs> say because I don't know if any guy would I ever know. be like, who are the nail ladies in town? <laughs> I obviously suck at being a creep. If I haven't thought of that one yet, <laughs> I'm putting that in my creep diary. <laughs> nail references. Because like my wife, she gets her nails done like every two weeks. Uh, roughly, I guess, and I have no idea where she goes to get them done. So, like, I wouldn't be able to look that up. Fair enough. But, okay. All right. Uh, okay. So, I guess just for anyone who's not been on Instagram or anywhere, could you just kind of give a rundown what boudoir ph- photography is? Yeah. So it's basically. I want to say it's kind of like the glamour shots from back in the day, okay. but a whole like the lot. Old pin-ups. <laughs> yeah, okay. but. A lot sexier. And a lot, lot less clothing. A lot less clothing and a lot edgier, but it has a but good it's tasteful. It's, I mean, it is tasteful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not porn. It's 100% staged. Even the images that look really risque is 100% staged. Um, but it tends to be, I mean, it's 
according to your opinion, right? Some people think it's just awful and offensive <laughs> and terrible. Yeah, I feel like that is just Yarmouth. Well, not, <laughs> sorry, not Yarmouth specifically, but small town, rural. Yeah. See, I, I guess I see where they're coming from. I have an issue when they started showing ankle back <laughs> in, the, in the early 1900s. Uh, that's where I drew the line. And so what you're up to nowadays is just... I know, right? <laughs> the, gates, the gates are open. Yeah, once the ankles are shown, it's... Do you do you find like do you ever do you ever reflect on that like okay I'm in I'm in a rural setting and I'm doing some risque stuff do you do you feel the heat or, or do you think maybe this would be easier in a, in a in a city in the beginning I felt the heat so bad like people yeah. were so offended especially I did um, a photo shoot of a gay male couple mm-hmm. um, and there was one photo that the guy he was kissing his husband's belly button. But it, the angle made it look a little worse. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the internet blew up over it. Like, it was just everybody was offended and they just thought. And But there was a lot of, like, healthy conversation around mm-hmm. it, too. And, like, so the people who were really offended and said these terrible things, they got backlash. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. But it was, a, especially with my, like, religious upbringing mm-hmm. and just the fact that I'm a girl, basically. And every, every girl's afraid to be slut-shamed. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I felt a lot of heat in the beginning. But, I can see that. Um, I don't. I just one day I decided to drop it because I loved the art too much. I was yeah. like, I don't care that they're mad. I'm just going to do it anyway. Because they're going to still be mad. Yeah, and and I knew I, I saw the power in it too because the women who were doing it were like transformed by it. It changed their lives. So I saw that and I knew it was good. So how could like I couldn't just stop. I didn't have the choice to just stop. Right. But. So what kind of transformation would you kind of see in a person uh, throughout your sessions? A lot of times they come up, they come to me at a transitional time in their life anyway. So that could be anything from a divorce. Um, they just had a baby and they feel different about their body or maybe they're turning 50. I get a lot of 50 plus okay. women. Right. Um, but it's usually sometimes like they're getting married or, or whatever. It's a transitional time. And so... They're always looking for something, though, and a lot of times they'll use, like, oh, it's my um, wedding anniversary, for, like, as an excuse to do it, and they'll say it's for my husband, but it's really for them. It's always for them. I was going to ask that, too. I'm like, it's for my husband, but it's, it's, it's got to be liberating for them. To it's very, yeah. Looking at those pictures, it's yeah. wild. It's the first time that most women have been told, like, it's okay to want to be sexy. It doesn't make you a slut just because you want to look. And feel your best. Yeah. How did you? Because you went from general photography. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Both mine. You did awesome shots of my kids when they were when they were born. And so, how did you train? How does that transfer go? You, did you? Were you aware of this line of work that you're like, okay, I'd like to try that out with somebody? And who was your first? Like, who came? Did they come to you, or did you approach somebody about saying? I can't say who it was. No, no. But, <laughs> well, what was the situation? Yeah. Like, did they someone say, hey, come and say, could you do boudoir? Were you like? I want to get into this. So I started it with newborn babies because I had a baby. And newborn 
lighting the, is, is very particular. You learn a lot about how to light a photo really well and everything when you um, learn that. So, and that was all good and fun, but it also just wasn't really that much of a challenge for me. Like once I kind of nailed down my process. Yeah, babies don't move. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> they're sleeping, right? Like newborns. Yeah, they're yeah. sleeping. And, and plus like the props were taking over my house and mm-hmm. it's really not that profitable. And um, so I was attending a workshop in PEI every year called Land and Sea and it's put on by a photographer named Dave Broshaw who's very well known in the photography community and he was bringing in big names like these it was opportunities to meet big photographers that I never thought I'd have the chance to meet my favorite photographer in the world her name's Candice Zubic um from I want to say she lives in Arizona or maybe California now I know she moved at some point but um anyway he brought her in and she's like that she was my hero <laughs> I got to meet her um but also there was um, so Ewan and Brianna Phelan from Toronto, he's kind of like the father of boudoir, basically. Like okay. he's kind of the guy, he was the first guy to really go viral with his work. Um, and I happened to see the viral post of like his photos and I just fell in love. And then that same summer when I, when I went to this um, camp, they brought in a woman named Caitlin Cleveland, who had learned from Ewan and Brianna Phelan. She had she was shooting boudoir and had learned from them. So she taught me some of the things that she knew. So okay. basically, that information was coming from the father of boudoir yeah. himself. <laughs> like, and I'm actually like relatively closely connected to these people now, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But just having the tools and the training to understand like how to pose women and how to watch the lighting and the angles and everything and then through practice and everything kind of it inspired me to kind of let go of the the baby work that wasn't I wasn't loving anymore um and then when my first client I'm not oh I know who it was I probably could say your name, but I won't just in case. <laughs> just, just in case. But, safe and sorry. Yeah. Um, Somebody's cross-referencing pictures somewhere. <laughs> Checking a finger. But she actually had modeling experience okay. anyway, and she just wanted to do it because she. I remember the message. She said, I'll do it. I'm not a prude. Okay. Wow. <laughs> like, okay. So it was just. Um, it was bad. <laughs> I can't help it. I feel sexy. And her coming now, out with that attitude must have made you more comfortable with your first crack at it too. Yeah, yeah. And she was like just ready to tackle it. And there was like she had no shame about her sexuality at all. She's just not that type of person to carry that, I guess. And so it was kind of and she loved her photos. I've done photos for her a million times and she always loves them. So And then I would have a lot of people message me and say, like, oh, I always wanted to do this, but I couldn't. I can't. I, you know, people would say this. People would say that. And that's what inspired the podcast Mm -hmm. was I was getting a lot of good feedback. I knew it was changing lives, but I was still struggling to book because people were so afraid to do it. And they don't know what to expect during a session either. You see these, like, really racy photos and you think, like, I don't know how to be sexy. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um but yeah, that's, that's kind of good story. on you. Thank huh? you. So yeah, you're taking people that aren't that's not naturally their everyday behavior, yeah. and you're helping them, you know, like yeah. find their confidence and yeah. 
But it also shows them how ridiculous modeling is. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. these people, like I tell them all, one of the first things I tell them when they come in is you're going to be sore afterwards. <laughs> like the poses are hard to hold. It's a workout. Yeah. Cause you're all like flopped over. <laughs> and like, Stay there. Okay. I got to get some light on this side. And then yeah. like, snap a couple from that angle. That <laughs> yeah. angle. And yeah. we only see the, the good ones. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I wish people could see bed posing. Yeah. <laughs> As he's explaining. I think I'd, I'd do well, but... Oh, know. for sure. It's, that's a whole other side of it. Is there... Do you get any men asking for anything along those lines? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I've been asked for a lot. <laughs> 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 I've been asked to film things I will never film. Wait, okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I typically, like, I, I do feel comfortable working with fitness men because they have a legit reason yeah. to want the photos. Um, with, <laughs> I, okay. it's, I know that you sounds... like John Goodman coming in. Hello, I'd like to take some naked photos. <laughs> <laughs> I have a <laughs> uh, No, I've actually been approached for that before. <laughs> Which I would do, but it's very hard to decipher because the number one way guys hit on me, the number one thing they say is, I'd do a boudoir session. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so I, it's really hard to decipher who's serious and who's not because some of them are just using it as an excuse to try and mm-hmm. strike up a conversation or something. So I just, I tend to stick to men that I know are serious about it. But also it's a lot easier to pose men because you basically just stand or sit. Or like yeah. for women, it's so ridiculous. They suit my life standing. <laughs> like, more, more sitting than sitting. But your ideas come up when you're sitting down. What <laughs> are the bigger challenges? Like lighting in these photos is, is it seems to be a pretty intricate thing. Is, is that a big part of it or is it more so the posing? The posing is the biggest part, I would say. Um, but two, one thing that people don't realize is that I'm angling these people and posing them so that they look confident in the photo a lot of times they're not confident when they get a little more confident is when i show them the back of my camera and say look at this shot and then they're like oh my god i can't believe that's me (laughs) and then they start to feel a little bit better and they ease into the session a little bit more and everything but a lot of times it's um just like the angle of their chin makes a huge difference so angle it just the right way up high and they look confident down low they look a little mm-hmm. shy a little scared so it's it's mostly posing kind of kind of like your neck fear <laughs> if you're exposing your neck you're i got a neck thing i can't be touched on my neck <laughs> don't touch it is that what the beard is for just like well the beard this is neck. the beard is a new thing i've always had a beard but i've never gone for one you know like to really mm-hmm. grow one so this is my year with a beard but Maybe it's, it's not you know, gonna last. I've told you already. It's, it's, it's deep down last. inside. I'm sure it has something to do with it. <laughs> but uh, if you touch my throat, I I freak out. It doesn't happen often, though. It does when no, people know about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like people like to, to use it. That as, should be our bet, then. I should get to slap you in the neck. No, <laughs> big uh, Ric Flair chop. That yeah. would suck for anybody. You just can't breathe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is anyway. You mentioned is it, it? Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it sex coach? Yes. Now, did that, you got into, to, I want to hear about the process of how you, you're becoming or you become this, but what led you this? Was it the boudoir photography that kind of led you in this direction? 
Yeah, well, the boudoir photography led me to trying to figure out why everybody was so riddled with shame around their sexuality. Women, basically. Um, men do experience it, too, but not to the degree that women technically do. Um uh, just trying to unravel so much about it and then learning about my own sexuality in the process and kind of unraveling like some of the messages I got growing up and why I was confused about things. And so I just kind of became obsessed with like learning about it and which helped with the podcast and helped me yeah. able to relay some well, information. But, um, but it was, I had so much positive feedback. And I realized that it was so relevant. And then, of course, I'm getting like messages from people, too, who are asking for my help. Like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, and in terms of like, a lot of times it's men, like, how do I get my wife to <laughs> yeah. like just loosen up and enjoy herself a little bit more or whatever, right? So when I realized, uh, actually, that I have another friend who's a boudoir photographer who took the sex coaching course. Um and so when I saw that she was doing it, I just started to look into it. And um, a lot of the things in Canada, what's available is people who are like an actual sexologist. They have an undergrad degree and then they've gone into sexology and they're therapists, basically. Um, with sex coaching, it's just an action plan for moving forward. It's not dealing with trauma from the past or anything. Um, and people tend to almost prefer that in ways because... Um, Therapy has just a stigma attached to it sometimes for a lot of people. And a lot of times people who have trauma don't want to dig it back up, but they do want to know what they can do moving forward. So um, once I complete this, I'm, I believe that this might not be accurate, but I think I'll be the first in Nova Scotia. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Down in Pioneer, Dermot. pioneering. Um, oh, shit, I was going to add a question. It was good, too. What? Yeah, I, I could tell you. Your body language was like, this is going to be awesome. Um, are, are most of your clients um, tri-county areas? Or do you ever get people coming from outside of Yeah, here? I get a lot of people traveling from Halifax, actually. No way. Because it's cheaper. So okay. my prices reflect Yarmouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all of the boudoir photographers in Halifax are... Probably around a thousand dollars, whereas I'm about half of that. So I get a lot of people travel from Halifax. I mean, it goes for like our wedding photographers were from Halifax, and they're a lot more expensive than local. Yeah, it's just it's it's just like anything though you pay because there's a lot more competition in Halifax too though. Like there's boudoir photographers around every corner in Halifax, Mm -hmm. but only one. I know, like I I, I, (laughs) don't I don't like like. Like, I don't like having my picture taken very often. Like, I don't like, like just having... If you only knew how many photos I have of you, Benton. Right. <laughs> so, like, even for me, like, just wedding, like, our photographers come for the wedding, like, we had two. And so, one went with Danny and her friends as they were getting ready, and one came with us. And, like, he was just there, like, as we were just hanging out, talking, and, like, he was just snapping pictures and stuff. And, like, myself, I was like, oh, my God, I hate this. Like, it just felt, like, super weird sitting there, so I can't even... Because you had your clothes on. (laughs) I think you could benefit from a session. Uh, I got more comfortable as the day went on. Maybe. I mean, but maybe that's the bet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No Trump on board photography. No. No, I don't like that idea. You neither. Not whatsoever. (laughs) I respect everything you do, but not with me. (laughs) What if, now hear me out, what if you did it and your wife really loved the photos? Loved them. Found you irresistibly sexy. Yes. Anyway, here's, here's the twist. They were me. 
<laughs> well, people confuse us for brothers. Yeah, it's true. Right? I can see All that. Right? No, like, we look more like than, like, because I have two brothers, he has two brothers, and we grew up across the street from each other. And I look more like him and his middle brother than my brothers. Yeah. And my oldest brother looks not like Yeah. So, Ben's brother, Dr. Madison, works at our school from time to time. And uh, we had a we had a new teacher start. It was no, it was a, a student teacher. Yes. Um, oh, that's right. Came last came last spring, and we're in the lobby first day, and I'm explaining who's who. I'm like, uh, this so so we have Nate, Drew, Ben, Drew, and Benton Gallagher all standing there, and, and Jordan. And we all like plaid shirts, beards. <laughs> like it's, it, it was like it was like a scene of a sitcom. Well, the thing is, is that me and Nathan have always been called twins our whole lives. But we're like, we're like, me and Benton are brothers, we said, and I'm not related to that guy. Yeah. Even though he was my brother. So we're just messing with this poor student teacher. Five weeks and later. She bought it. Like, like, she yeah, so, it. So those two, those two grew up together, and he, what, is he even from Yarmouth? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Medicine? Oh, yeah. But so no, your brother's a teacher at the school, too? Uh, yeah. He's, uh, he's still finishing it out, uh, so he's doing his BED right now. Oh, okay. So, uh. Eventually, sometime. out of the six of us, like the two families, four of us are teachers, and his father's a teacher. My mother was a teacher, so it's oh, Chestnut Street's keeping this board going. Single handedly educating the future. <laughs> no, but like education. back to pictures. I just remember, like, because we got these photographers because they like a lot of their portfolios showed like not pose shots, like, the you know, the typical wedding, standing there with your families, and, like... No, the candid. The, the candid, candid yeah, that's the word. Anyway, and I, we didn't want those, like, we didn't like that idea at all. We wanted all the pictures to be, like, informal, uh, like, in the moment kind oh, sorry, of stuff. That, that's mm-hmm. candid. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Anyway, that's what we wanted, and so as the day went on, it got a lot easier, but we did go to the lighthouse for, like, half an hour to get some pictures of Danny and I, and it, like... I don't know what the sessions are like with the girls, but we were like, the pictures look awesome, but we're laughing most of the time before. Like, I don't know how they got the shots in between because you feel super awkward standing there in these poses and stuff. The pictures look great, but I just, I couldn't, I don't know. A lot of, when it comes to boudoir, one of my tricks is, and I feel like I shouldn't give my tricks away because I have so many people we're not trying, trying, yeah, yeah, trying to get into it. No, other photographers are. Brian cast boudoir. I don't, I don't really make them look at the camera. Right. Because these images are supposed to be in the throes of passion, yeah. right? right? Who's right. looking at a camera? Not me. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, we did have, like I said, we did those pictures, and they're nice and all, but our favorite pictures from the, our wedding is um, the photographers were, like, on the dance floor when you with us. The no. Oh. But, like, within the dance of the at the reception, yeah. right? Some of the pictures are absolutely hilarious. And, like, those, yeah. I feel, I don't know. I just, I don't like having a picture taken. Do you, I have like twelve hundred of them. Do you ever <laughs> do you ever find that you get into the giggles, like the church giggles, when you just can't stop? And you're like, all right, I need you to do this uh, pose, and they're like, <laughs> you just can't stop. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. It's usually the first fifteen minutes of of anybody's session. They feel super awkward, mm. and so trying to get them to relax. I'm usually cracking totally inappropriate jokes, mm-hmm. like just to, to get, get them to yeah, yeah, to get them to loosen up, and they a lot of times um. So I get them to like keep their mouth open for a lot of shots, and it feels so awkward to them that they just can't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, I feel kind of like oh, I feel sexy. Can you, can you make me look like a mouth breather? <laughs> like, this doesn't this doesn't feel sexy. This is why it doesn't work with men. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> there tends to be a lot of laughter actually. Do you, do you get um, a lot of repeat? Yeah, 
um, it's starting now because I've been doing boudoir for four years. Okay, yeah, but I've only been seriously pushing it for about a year and a half, okay. almost two. Um, so repeats are starting to come back, and I get a lot of people who tell me like I can't wait to do it again. Okay, but it's such a it's one of those things that. People aren't going to do it every year, you know. They might no. do it, yeah. at, like I said, transitional times in their yeah, lives. Like, in their lives. Yeah. yeah, you could have a membership. Punch card. <laughs> <laughs> there are some people who would come back like monthly if they could. And actually, I did just over Christmas. So I did Christmas mini sessions, mm-hmm. and a woman came and did her session, and then she came back for Valentine's Day sessions. So, oh, wow, there you go. Yeah. How long are these sessions? Um, so mini sessions are 45 minutes, which I always end up going over, but, <laughs> um, and then an actual session, a full session would be about 90 minutes. Okay. Uh-huh. I feel like, yeah. Have, have you ever had a client where you're like, man, this, I just can't get through to this person. They're super awkward. This is like, it's, it's not even that it's I feel like awkward. I with a church pew. <laughs> Actually, I'll have to fill you in on that story after. But <laughs> um, no, there is there are some people who just don't relax, like they, yeah. and it does show up in the photos. So I've had to become really good at making people relax or helping them relax, or finding ways around them not relaxing. So a person who really isn't gonna relax, a lot of times they're not doing it. For themselves, their you know their boyfriend asks them to do it or something mm-hmm. like that, and then it's really hard for them to relax and enjoy. But yeah. but actually, when it you feels say inappropriate, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm here and I, I don't want to be doing this. I'm yeah, I naked. don't. You're taking a picture of me. Everything's wrong. Goddamn, right Steve is making me do this. <laughs> uh, I'm actually like that. I mean, I hate doing that because I feel like it's it's not for them if they're not going to yeah. enjoy it like i don't want to take your money i don't want you to be here almost like because it just feels mm-hmm. wrong but they want to do it for them and and a lot of times they are happy with the results too mm-hmm. you know like they're they do it kind of wakes something Feel up good. in them or, yeah but i think and i think that's the usually the purpose of why I, a man might um push a woman to do that is because he wants her to be a little bit more open and free type thing yeah, yeah. Or he might just want it for himself. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can see arguments for both, right? Like yeah. If someone seems very uptight, do something totally out of your comfort zone, and maybe you'll you'll find something within yourself. Right? I can um, tell you, though, my favorite client ever. Yes. <laughs> she's... I could, like, this story just makes me giddy. I love her so much. <laughs> she... She's a very religious woman. No way. Very religious. And she showed up with a bag full of tricks. (laughs) She showed up with like whips and chains and (laughs) and Ah. (laughs) she must have been Catholic. She's definitely Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. No, she she actually I'm pretty sure she was wearing like a long skirt, turtleneck, like and as soon as she walked in, I was like, This woman is very conservative, clearly. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. Oh no, she was and one of the things she said was that Give her, me father for I have sinned. Yeah. <laughs> her and her partner have a very healthy sex life and I was like, mm. clearly. <laughs> but she's one of my favorites. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, the people you meet must just be What? Yeah. You guys uh, hear that sound? That's Alright, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> We're working out some bugs here. We're, we're trying some new uh, segments and stuff. We'll cut out what we don't need here. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. Have you guys been to the beach in the last couple of years or any time in your <clears> life? <throat> and you've noticed 
Are you, uh, no, so I, you're not I, asking a question. You're just don't is, don't answer any of my questions okay. for the next ten minutes. <laughs> okay, um, you can chime in when you want, um, <laughs> but don't answer. <laughs> I know. Uh, in all seriousness, answer this question. Do, are you, do you do you play in the seaweed? Are you no, just, like I'm scared of what's under there. No, but are you really? Yeah. I have real fears. That's wonderful. We have a whole episode about how he's scared of everything. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> so, uh, underneath, the, underneath the seaweed, you always find these tiny green crabs. Yeah. Um, and I, I had always noticed them, and I'm like, oh, these crabs suck to catch because they're not, they're not the big ones you can put in a little like kind of pool and like have and, like bite and and crush each other's arms off. You can't have battle royales with the little squishy green ones. Um, it wasn't until I was hanging with Ben, and Ben's like, you ever go to the beach, and you see those green crabs? Crush them. They're an invasive species. They screw shit up. Um, I'm very so, passionate about... I love animals, and I love ecosystems, and okay. I friggin' hate green no, crabs. So now my kids, when we go to the beach, Dad, there's green crabs! I'm crushing all of them! I'm like, yeah, Ben's happy. <laughs> yeah. But invasive species, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but how does it... Why is it there, then? No, so they came over from, like, Europe... And they, they're from a different, ships. yeah. The so they're from a different the ecosystem. They have they're a whole food web, and they know what eats them, and it keeps them all in check. But they come here, everything's like, whoa, I don't get you, and they just kind of leave them alone, and so they just explode, and and then no they predators. start decimating. So they start eating up all the resources, using up everything. Um, I've never seen one of these green grabs in my life. They're, you they're yeah, everywhere. Like, like you, you flip, flip some seaweed. They are underneath your beard right now. Hi. I wouldn't flip the seaweed. Well, just okay. like to, um, to to go off your thing. I just remember when I was doing my uh, my bio degree, we were doing invertebrate zoology. We went to the beach and we're doing tidal pools. And we go to the tidal pools and we're like flipping over rocks and we're finding different specimens. And my props are like really, really strict. They're like, if you turn a rock, you place the rock exactly back how you put it. You know, like, so any, he's like, we don't want to disturb anything. You know, if you find a specimen, if we already have that specimen, do not collect it. You know, keep everything the way you found it. And he's like, but if you see a green crab, you smash it to bits. Because <laughs> I was like, he was so like, you know, like preserve, preserve. He's like, murder them. <laughs> Because they are so destructive to the ecosystem here. Remember I uh, any of this? Remember Steve Irwin did a piece on uh, feral cats in Australia. Really? Like cats, like my cat Tony would be screwing shit up in Australia. Mind you, you'd probably get screwed up like shit in Australia right now. Mm-hmm. But um, that and what the zebra mussel, the like mussels, yeah, they basically blanket the the Great Lakes. They're not supposed to be there. Yeah. However, um, no, they don't belong. Um, these scientists from McGill University have figured out not necessarily a solution, but at least a way to capitalize on this crustacean invasion. They can crush down the shells, dry them out, crush them down into a powder, mix them with this other mysterious powder, and make a durable plastic. So they can make plastic plates, plastic... So now they're going to start breeding the green crabs. It's important we need more of them. That's apparently no, because yeah. uh, we, we need more plastic. <laughs> based on based on each female being able to produce one hundred and seventy five thousand eggs, I think we're okay. <laughs> now the whole point. Plates. I mean, when we boil it down, nobody gives a shit about conservation unless there's like something in it for them, because it's an existential existential crisis where like companies don't actually really want to tackle it. Uh, people don't really want to give up anything in their lives. But if you can say. These crabs, they're destroying our ecosystem. Oh, cool, whatever. 
we can make money off of them if we just harvest ding, ding, ding. them. Then all of a sudden, we can tackle that problem. So that's we, why that's exciting. are we over to the crab farm? We need we need just to go to the ship plant down on Water Street. All right, Ooh, I, I, I caught 150 crabs. No, I'm did, did you say did you say shit plant? Yeah, yeah, like there. the waste it's, recycling. Yeah, plant. right by the by the runoff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, There's but lots of good I, I, I remember <laughs> back to the episode where we talked about my fears and my big fear of fish. Yeah. So I wouldn't do this now. Like, I'm not flipping seaweed. I don't like swimming in the ocean. I'm so glad somebody else is afraid of fish. See? It's not It's not just me. But this is the water's gone. They're just crabs. Are you scared of crabs? Scared of I don't want to know what's under the seaweed. Like Crabs. It's not going to be a giant grouper. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like I don't know. big catfish that grabs your arm. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't get you. You caught it. You're the man. No. We went to Jamaica last year, and everybody was like snorkeling, seeing mm-hmm. all these beautiful fish, mm-hmm. and like feeding them, and they would come right up to your hand. Yeah, no. I get out to like not even my waist in the water, and a fish gets near me, and I run away screaming. <laughs> I did. I, I've Where's been down, I've been down south once, and I did the snorkeling, but I stayed like at the very top. Like I wasn't diving down like everybody else to see all the fish and everything down. I mean, that's not going to kill you. We had a shipwreck in where we spent our summers in Antigonish over the cove with the yeah. anchors. And low tide, we go down to the quarry. And, and a couple of times we went down there. We were, we were we were snorkeling all down through. That was That's that was magical. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Eh, first time. So, yeah, back to the plastic crabs. This is the first time that a method of creating plastic has been established that doesn't involve the release of any harmful toxic materials. So we're not making a mess as far as the, the environment goes. And we're... We're able to. So is it actually still plastic, though? Probably tastes like fish. It's plastic like. <laughs> so like chitin is what makes up the uh, the shell of a crab, and it's a nice sturdy, rigid thing. So I think they would bind it with something else. So it's not plastic; it would be biodegradable. Okay. Um, but it still has strength and form, so you could use it like a plastic. Okay. But then you fly, you throw it in the landfill, and it melts away. So you're saying to throw out a plastic. Throw crab, throw crab plastic once you're done with them. But murder all the green crabs to make the crab plastic <laughs> and then chuck them. Okay. Is this a sustainable business? Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully yeah. we get rid of the green crab and then go by that to, point... Go back we... to regular plastic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till Subway has plastic drinking straws again. What about um, unrelated topic? Um, we're hearing more about the like coronavirus is obviously still a big thing. Um, side note, like it's not really the news much. It is. Mm-hmm. You don't think so? It's the lizard people. The lizard people are hiding it. Mm-hmm. Um, There's creative. lizard people. News? Have you never heard this? Cons- <laughs> no. You've never heard this conspiracy no. about the most. I, I don't believe it at all. Yeah, you but brought it, it up. It is a conspiracy yeah. that some Funny of the mind. most influential and powerful people in the world are just lizard people wearing human, human masks. Yeah. Gotcha. That, those are that like makes total sense. We're getting yeah. to the flat earthers. We're getting yeah. to that. Okay. I, I heard recently that supposedly Britney Spears shaved her head because people were plugging stuff into uh, her head. I, <laughs> I feel like I just saw something about her shaving her head. Yeah, Did you know that she was the first okay, Tide Pod? That's where I saw it. She was the first Tide Pod winner? No, I the Tide Pod Challenge? iPod. She was the first iPod. They just plugged the earphones into her head and then you could listen to her brain sing the songs. The iPod <laughs> Britney bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I had her first CD, not going to lie. So I'm I'm following, I've been following like the cruise ships. I had a student in my class text the other day, I'm like, yeah, I'm going on a cruise march break. I'm like, are you crazy? You want to get locked on one of those things? I know. Have you heard about those stories of, okay, the boat. So one boat was offered free porn. 
Was it? Yeah, there's one of the cruise ships that was locked up. expensive that stuff is? Well, one of the cruise ships that was docked, but they couldn't, they was quarantined. Um, there was a porn site that offered them all free memberships while they were quarantined. How'd you beat it? Like, <laughs> some of you couldn't leave your room. Like, you could not leave, you're not allowed to leave your room. They bring food yeah. to your room. Like, you can't leave your room. And, like, the cruise ship rooms are not big, some of them. No. Some of them don't have windows. Yeah. So, you, if you're fortunate enough to have a window or a balcony, at least you can get out in your balcony. You can still shower, you have your TV. But, yeah, like we're talking, like the Diamond Princess was just off the coast of Japan. 3,500 people you're trying to manage. Okay, so right now it has 218 cases. It, it's, it's borderline of like, man, should we have really locked these people on a boat? So but they are they locked? To get but that's the question. Are they locked in their rooms or are they just told to stay in their rooms? That's the question. Are you, are you managing? You can't just like lock people up. Well, they're under quarantine. Can they just quarantine the sick ones, or is everybody who so the whole, everybody on the cruise ship? Do your own. We'll deliver you until they figure out who has it and who doesn't. Oh gosh! So it's it's an absolute. I hope they're debacle. all getting refunds. <laughs> I would hope. I know. Well, the trip was longer. <laughs> so <laughs> you got the work you bargained for. Yeah. The uh, but then there, there's one there's one uh, there's a Michigan man a guy from Michigan uh, landed in Cambodia so we got off the boat but now he's stranded in Cambodia hanging around in a hotel. He doesn't have the virus. And he's complaining. He goes, my embassy isn't helping me out at all. So, like, dude, this is a pretty big problem. And it's not just you. Yeah. Like, his quote is like, if I have 600 Americans in crisis in transit and I think I'd be here, maybe once a day, maybe twice, I'd might camp here. We're the biggest and strongest country in the world. And we have an embassy. We have embassy people who act like we're the problem. And that's the real challenge. Like, so he's American. <laughs> he is... He is not of the Maritimer uh, variety. <laughs> Man, that's that's terrible. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. However, I, I get where you're in a foreign country, and you you want your government. Yeah, you want you yeah. want them to come to your rescue. Uh, also, you, you you're probably pretty pissed off after being locked up on a boat. But how is he stranded? I don't understand. Get on a plane. Uh, no, he can't get on a plane. But but in the in the article he's like well I'm, I'm half scared to to speak up because I don't want my name to get out there and they'll think that okay this is the guy who was in Cambodia so we don't want him on our airlines well if you're scared to speak up don't speak up you idiot mm. yeah change your shoes <laughs> uh, so from boats let's go from boats to planes boats to planes lady last week she uh, so she's a teacher um, uh, she was flying back. Like, I don't know, she's from Charlotte or anyhow. She's on her on her plane, and apparently she had a sore neck, whatever. She she reclines her chair. So it's like four inches your chair can go back. Is that it? The guy, yeah, it's not yeah, far. It's very brief. The guy behind her is trying to eat. Uh-huh. And he says, excuse, like, and he says angrily, he's like, hey, put your seat back. Like, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't polite. He said, put your seat back up and try to eat. So she puts her seat up. Okay, when she realized that he wasn't eating anymore, she put her seat back down. He then started to like just kind of hammer fist and just kind of pound on the back of her her chair. You can see video online, and it's not like he's not like coming up with a cross. Yeah, like it a big, he's being he, a, an annoying he, younger brother. Yeah, he's being being a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, and when she complained to the to flight attendant, flight attendant came back, kind of investigated. Flight attendant told her, "Is like your behavior here is inappropriate," and she gave her uh, like a like a printed out warning or behavior of she's she's breaking the flight passenger actor of some sort. So she, that, so she was lady. reprimanded. She was reprimanded. She was kind of put on alert as if like you are going to be 
taken off this plane by the police when we get when we get to the ground. Wow. Um, but it raised this whole debate over like, can you can you recline, recline can, ethically recline. ethically can you recline your chair like ethically? Um, last, I think last flight. When was your last flight? Last flight. Galapagos. Galapagos. Yeah. So that, those are long flights. So I think there is a there there is a a bit of how long is your flight? Um, so it's like if you're flying in an hour, an hour and a half, you probably don't need to. But the the thing is, is it's a domino effect, right? So I'm I'm imagining this lady who just wants to lean back and release the tension on her neck because a this the person in front of her is forcing their seat in the back. But like I've traveled many long flights, and I you you have to put it back because like. You're not going to be the martyr that says, okay, their seat's back, their seat's back, but I'm holding strong for the justice of this. If the seats go back, they go back. I'm going to, I'm going to change the context here. She was the second last seat to the back of the plane. So the guy behind her was Johnny Straightback. Johnny Straightback. And he was here. So he, she, he's got her. He yeah, can't, he, he can't, can't go, go back. back. No. So Are you sure? Because I thought yeah, every seat could yeah. recline. I know maybe a bit, but it's not the four inches. Maybe I know it's two. If we flew home from the Czech Republic, I reclined the whole way. Really? And not the whole way there. So the but the, 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 the another argument that could be made for reclining is also the size of the person that's reclining. Like, because airplane seats are small yeah. for some people. Yes, right, and that's that's the other issue. When an airlines maintain, it is your right. To recline your chair, but but this has been the standard for for years and years. But look at like, have you guys? What is it? The Air Can- is it Air Canada Rouge or that's the one where they, you're you're sardines, like you're you're packed on there. And I'm I'm not a huge human being, but I'm, I'm six feet tall and I'm I'm tight. I'm touching that for. So the way the way it used to be and the way it is now, there's no room to back up. And I mean, so you're, you're, listen, you're I think for here's, the here's, I think the airlines love it when we're fighting amongst ourselves instead of fighting the airlines, right? All these issues are coming from them. What's the most economic way to pack as many people as we can onto a plane, right? Um, and they have these crazy new designs for stools where you're half kneeling and sitting on like a little tiny stool that just supports your buttocks. Never seen And that. like... Oh, yeah, like at the, the trade expos, they're coming up with all this stuff on how we can shove these poor bastards in a plane. Yeah. And, and so and the issue is, is like in the States, three companies run the airlines, right? In Canada, we have a couple. They have monopoly, right? So you don't have these other ones that can come in with innovative ways of offering luxury because they just they get put out of business. So there's no one holding the airlines to a higher standard of passenger comfort. Are you going to recline your seat on your trip? I am absolutely going to recline See? my seat. I feel like you pay for the ticket. Yeah. No, I believe like you are in your right. It's your yeah. seat. Your body, your seat. Yeah, you know? I feel like the guy who had a problem with it shouldn't have been on an airplane. Mm. Like, you know, going you know, into the yeah. airplane, it's going to be cramped. It's yeah. going to be kind of awful because airplanes kind of are awful. So Yeah, yeah. It's what you're paying for. It's like my, yeah. You're paying for that terrible experience. It's my thing. When I go in, I book my flights in advance. I get in the aisle seat. I do like the window, but I got a stiff knee. So I need to be able to put my leg out in the aisle and recline. I'm planning my thing out, right? And I'm planning I always out book window seat. And if he had that much of a problem, he could have chose a seat 
before. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Who wants to be stuck at the back by the poop? Right? <laughs> that's where the poop is. Yeah, that's where the poop is. Yeah. So, yeah. like, Mister, you're dumb. <laughs> CEO of Delta Airlines comes up with goes. Well, ethically, in 2019 or 2020, you need to ask. We should we should be asking permission uh, to to put our seat back. But ultimately, it's your right. No, you should ask permission. You can't say that you need to ask, and it's your right. Because what if the person says no? Well, sorry, man, it's my right. But <laughs> thank you for your opinion. I think you need to get on an airplane, assuming that the person in front of you is going to recline their seat. Yeah, yeah. because Just, they usually do. When you get on the plane, you know it's going to be an awful experience. Why don't the seats only recline? Yeah. Because like turbulence. Fair enough. And <laughs> take off and land. We <laughs> <laughs> don't want you sliding out the bouncing around. Can I tell you though? The Why do you have beanbags? Who are we? I was talking about turbulence the other day. So I have an experience where my plane got struck by lightning and I thought I was going to die. Mm, I thought you were going to die. And it, it gave me a fear of flying. And I've flown a lot, but then I got this fear because there was a moment where I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. And it was fine. It totally worked out. It was fine. But then I was flying to Ottawa and the turbulence started going. And I've never seen turbulence like this where you had two flight attendants that were in the aisles and they weren't ready for it. And it oh. picked them up in the air and slammed oh, them on the ground. Neat. No, not good. No, yeah, yeah. Like it, Were they injured? Like, Well, one of them like lost a couple fingernails because she was kind of holding on to the overhead compartment. I, that, <laughs> People like bend their fingernails. It bothers me. No, it was... And then... I like so I was already kind of nervous and I was like, you know, praying, oh my God, please forgive me for everything I've There's done. There's actually a Catholic upbringing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you always go back. If you're you raised do. Catholic, if you're Catholic you always in those moments, back. you go back. Um, it was bad though. Anyway, you recline your seats. That's, That's the moral of the story here. We're finding the story. <laughs> what Kevin Bacon movie did you just remind me of? Snakes on a Plane. No, <laughs> the girl, when, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a rape scene and, 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 and the girl gets murdered. She loses her fingernail. Oh my God. That's, that, and then it he brings puts me her in the and, wall. Yeah, he, he wraps her up and puts her in the wall. I can't remember. Hollow Man. That was the exact movie that I was um, thinking of when he said that, too. <laughs> people that like, that, like Danny, trip. when she like loses a nail and breaks, like, I, I can't even look at it. Like, the thought <laughs> of that, it just, it, yeah. uh, it's too much. It's got to be Stir of Echoes. Yeah, it is. You're okay. right. <laughs> yeah. Stern Michael's never heard Damn of you, Kevin Bacon. You ruined my night. So, um... <laughs> I'll never see that scene. I've never seen it. I don't really don't want to. Don't watch it. I know, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> I'm going to show you. Um, I think Tyler is the best equipped to inform us of this big announcement we have coming up. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Amazing. Uh, so, the Barncast, we, uh, we dabbled in doing some Barncast events last summer. Um, Boat Bash! Did the Boat Bash. It was a huge success. Uh, if you if you don't know what it is, check us out on YouTube. Um, this year, we, we'd love to repeat that. Uh, big shout out to Tuscan Island Tours. Simon, I'd like to, like to hope to see you again. Um, but we, uh, we've got some buddies who play some terrific music as well. A little bigger and better. And we're looking to do the Barncast Barn Burner. June 26th. The June 26th, the Yarmouth Golf Course will be hosting the Radiators. Radiators are, are now the Tri-County It Band for uh, for adult dances, we'll, we'll say. Yeah. Um, so they'll be starting at 9.30 p.m. at the golf course. Tickets are $20. They're going to be playing all your favorite tunes. Um, I'm, I'm pumped. So any yeah. anytime, any, yeah. these guys played my wedding. Um, they play all the big nights where they play New Year's at the Grand. They do the um, Tuna Festival. They do the Tuna Festival. Oh, they, um, they put it on a time. They, they they played my dad's garage in Cole Harbor. <laughs> um, huge. If you, the Manland parties are good. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, no, no, but I'm not hurt. <laughs> um, I but can't this say that is going to be good people, blast. good music. It's going to be awesome. The Barncast, uh, Barncast Nation is going to be in attendance. It's going to be, we're going to have tons of heritage product mm-hmm. in distribution. Yeah. So we're going to get tickets. Uh, tickets are going to be bought online yeah. or at the door uh, if you're unable to buy tickets in the next five months. If you're Saturday. a square. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we'll, we'll post a link and how to purchase those tickets in advance. Because it is limited occupancy where there is... 150 of the luckiest Barncast listeners. Yep. Slash listeners, friends, and family and, and humans. cousins. Yep. Yeah. And I already put it in my calendar. I'm so, going to be yeah. there. Jane Malone will be in attendance, she's, she's, ladies and She's got her ticket. We, yep. We've already taken care of it. So, and then you count us. I mean, you're already We just down. told people you were going to tell people who the girls in the pictures were. We'd have 150 people. <laughs> Maybe not the 150 we want. No. <laughs> Show. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be Show a movie movie. slideshow. The never before scene. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be a bunch of creepy dudes just like I always knew it was her. It'll be like Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie when you're like, I can't come in unless I'm invited. <laughs> but I love that slideshow. <laughs> but it, it is absolutely gonna be a time. Um yeah, it's the last, it's like the last weekend in June, right before summer starts for a lot of people. Yeah, so, so teachers, you don't have an excuse because it's, Friday not, night. it's not the last day of school, but we don't have kids on Monday. And it's Friday night. It's Friday night. Yep. So, so do you guys do like, they always have haul-up parties? Do you guys have like end of the year teachers? We usually like, do a staff. <laughs> yeah, you have a staff party. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, we don't do like a big teacher party for all the teachers around. It's, it's definitely not on the same level as a haul-up party. No. no. Kind of, I'm just realizing it kind of sucks to be self-employed. I just never like. Well, I this could be your staff party. Myself. This could be your staff party. This is my staff party. Yeah, okay. this could be it. Yeah. So October 26th is June 26th. Yeah, I'm sorry. June 26th. We'll, we'll let you know what's going on October 26th. Uh, June 26th will be yeah the uh, the Jay Malone photography uh, staff party. party. Well, and bring the whole staff. I feel like. Benton, you said your birthday is June 21st. Yep. And mine's June 20th. So I think you should put Barncast, Barnburner, slash Jade and Benton's birthday. We, uh, we did the boat, <laughs> we did a uh, boat tour for Tusco Isles, uh, like on my birthday last year. So yeah. I pretended it was my birthday party. So uh, I didn't know some of the people that were there, but <laughs> <laughs> like I won't know everybody at this one. We can be the guests of honor. You guys can get us a cake. Can you okay. provide, can you provide us with a cake? We can have a big booty cake. <laughs> <laughs> You actually, I the girl that I live with makes cakes, so yes, I can do that. All right, okay, we're gonna get a big booty cake, and we will cut a cake for Benton and this James. Is awesome. Big booty birthday bash with the barn cast barn burner. That's and we're a lot both of turning. We're both turning thirty-two. That's right. So yep. we might have even been in the hospital together. Probably. I feel like we were. Fair assessment. You feel like we were. I don't remember, but we probably were. We gotta get these moms together. So, yeah, bring your parents. <laughs> well, uh, mom, my mother said she's gonna help out with the event at the door. So we do have staff. <laughs> yeah, we have staff. So it is like I said, tickets are gonna have to be bought online. Um, then you just show up at the door with your phone, and so we can, you know, verify. verify. Uh, we'll be using Eventbrite. We'll be putting up a link. Um, mm-hmm. Purchase online, twenty dollars online, twenty five dollars at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you want buying to your tickets early really helps us out because then we know, know that we're not going in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can make you and that you're not going to be the only people showing up. Yeah, so that's bad. But it's going to be a blowout. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to sell 150, so get on it. Yeah, 
150 is really not that many because we already know of a bunch that are almost. Yeah, I know. Like I already have like 300 friends, so I don't have 300 <laughs> friends, but I can sell at least 10 tickets. Okay, I have four friends, <laughs> and two of them are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My life is sad. <laughs> but be on the lookout for that because it is going to be a blast. It's going to be a time. Also, yeah, we're looking to get uh, we're looking to get some of the members of that band on for for guests here yeah. in, in the coming uh, weeks and months. So someday, we can, some year, we can pump the tires of the Barncast Barn Burner. Yeah, with the radiators. Before we move on, I just have a couple more questions for Miss Malone. Let's oh, do this. They've been brewing. Yeah, they've been brewing, and I think in your profession, I just want to know. It's gotta get like really awkward or have some weird, funny things doing your boudoir sessions. So can you tell me like a situation that was really awkward or funny or weird? Be a good fuck story. Uh, <laughs> Someone's gotta let it rip. Okay, no, I, I mean you might have to edit this in. I don't know. <laughs> but the the first time that I posed somebody in a G string. And I realized it just doesn't cover enough. <laughs> and you can't take a picture from like any angle. That can that. hide so the don't anatomy. Bring g strings to your session. Well, there goes my whole outfit. Yeah, I was going to ask: was that a male or a female? It was a female, and I was just—it was my like. It was probably only like my fourth or fifth client, and it was the first time I realized: wow, I'm going to see everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty yeah. awkward, but but other than that, it's been a lot of like just like stories that people tell me that I'm a little shocked by, and like okay, I yeah. feel like I know everybody's secrets. Secrets, yeah. 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 Like I know everybody's secrets. <laughs> good thing I'm pretty good at keeping secrets because it's important. Yeah, and then I'll have like like prominent members of society come to a session and tell me how much they like to be tied up <laughs> okay. like, stuff like that. and it's like I I mean I support that yeah. I do but I don't necessarily need to know all of the details yeah. that I get told there's some shock factor coming there's back some your shock way. Fa- and especially like I think people assume that because I do this that I'm some kind of like wild and free crazy yeah. you're like you're like sex like, with sue you're yeah right, right, right. and i think sex like i'm a, yeah. honestly still learning there's a lot i'm still <laughs> shocked by so but yeah i had so. forgotten about sex lady sue before i, uh, I mentioned uh, i was talking to my dad earlier and it's like oh, i'm going to the podcast and he's like oh you got the sex lady on tonight because he saw our post and that just i instantly thought of sue <laughs> i was like she'd be a good guest to have yeah. But I don't know if, like, she's I don't know if she's alive. Is she alive? <laughs> I, I have no idea. She, she, did, she, she did my first week at university. Yeah, she did. She told you right how it was. Yeah? I was sent a video the other day of showing she was explaining certain techniques. And, yeah. And I'm like, I forgot how... Was that a college show? Oh, yeah. 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 And it was, it was... You know what? You could have considered it similar to what you're doing. It was new age. But... She definitely, I mean, that was pre-social media, so she definitely didn't get the hate. Yeah. That's true. Well, yeah, but I'm sure, TV though, it was, the, it so was people, the 90s. Like, yeah. I'm sure she got hate. Yeah. Like, yeah. She came on right after Jonovision <laughs> on Fridays. No, Sunday Night Sex Show. But a lot of times, like, she had her own TV show, so mm-hmm. people just automatically assume, like, okay, this is worth watching or whatever. When it comes to social media, it's still a lot of controversy. Like, I can't believe she posted that. Yeah, <laughs> you're trying to get likes. Yeah, right? So it's people just automatically assumed 
that she was some kind of authority on, or and she was, she was educated and everything, yeah. but for when it comes to the little old boudoir photographer, <laughs> people are still not quite Shoot as warm. Shoot me down. <laughs> but hey, it's a time thing, right? Yeah. And uh, just, I mean, if you ever need to drop our names... Just do it. Right, so I don't, we don't know how it'll help. I probably don't. Brian right, Cass is okay with if me. If someone starts giving you shit, be like, yo, Brian Cass boy's coming back. And then you'll be like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you know what, though? This and then, girl's and then they crazy. <laughs> oh, man, I should know this. Damn it. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm not hip. <laughs> I'm yeah. definitely going to do that from now on. Yeah. There you go. Maybe that guy who texted me earlier. Yeah. yeah. The barn ba- bar- <laughs> the barncast boys are coming for you. We already, we already <laughs> found you on Facebook. We we're found we've you. seen the hairline. As we're, getting, <laughs> as we're getting picked off one by one. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's just Tyler. And guy. now you know <laughs> it was dangerous. You yeah. saved the rest of the story. Yeah. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Lauren. What? No, well, no, no, that wasn't Lauren Phoebe. No. That was... Uh, the rest of the story. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah I know the rest that. of the story. I don't remember who it was. It could have been anyone, really. It could have been the guy at the end of the cell phone. Do, uh, do you want to take a walk? Take a trip. Take a trip. <laughs> On down to... Science Corner. Welcome, welcome <laughs> back down to Science Corner. Um, I have, uh, I'm going to, we're, we're kind of, this is a great episode. We're going to run over on this one and I, I have no regrets because I think everything in here needs to be said and done. Tom so Carver. if you got to take a day or two to listen to it, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you the story of the toxic lady. And this is a crazy story. So the year 1994, the month February, the day the 19th. The lady, Gloria Ramirez, she's rushed in to the Riverside, California hospital. So she she was uh, an ordinary woman, uh, woman living there with two kids and a husband. She was always told that she's you know a fun lady, a joker. She brought joy to people. Uh, but when she showed up into the hospital, she had a, a rapid heartbeat and a drop in blood pressure, and she could hardly breathe and wasn't able to answer questions coherently. Which was kind of strange because she's only 31. All right. So we look hmm. around this room. Yeah. <laughs> now, part of this was she did have late stage cervical cancer. So this would help to do, like to talk about her deteriorating medical condition. So what they did is they went in and they followed all the procedures for, you know, bringing her back as much as they can. Injecting her with different drugs to try to bring her vital signs back to normal. But nothing was working. So they remove her shirt so that they can apply electrodes to start uh, defibrillating her heart. And they notice this weird oily sheen covering her body, which was, which was weird. And they also smelled this weird fruity, garlicky smell coming out of her mouth. Um, so they thought that was weird. So they wanted to run some blood tests. So the nurse runs over with the syringe. They place it in Ramirez's arm to obtain a good blood sample. And they pulled it out, and the first thing they smelled was ammonia, like, you know, the cleaner. Yep. Um, and then they looked in it, and you could see little tiny manila-covered particles floating around in the blood. So, like, kind of abaseous clumps floating around in her blood. So that's weird. That doesn't make sense. Raising some flags for So me. The, the doctor that's there looked at the blood and agreed, 
Okay, something's not right. Something is not going well. And probably whatever she's going through is not just hard failures. This isn't a simple thing we're going through. Well, all of a sudden, the lady who draws the blood passes out. All right? And then all of a sudden, another nurse developed breathing problems. And another nurse passed out. <laughs> and, and then she awoke. She was paralyzed. She couldn't move her arms and legs. All of a sudden, everyone in the room treating this lady started passing out. And um, Well, she's awake on the bed? Well, no. like She's, she's like half dead on the bed. Okay. Um, so the staff was then ordered to evacuate because something's going on. All of a sudden, all your nurses and, and doctors and everybody you can't are passing out. Um, so they ran out to the parking lot. Over 23 people became ill and five were hospitalized for their conditions. And the symptoms were ranging from fainting to shortness of breath to nausea to temporary paralysis. Where like one person was in the hospital for like two weeks after. Like some pretty serious wow. things. So after 45 minutes of CPR and defibrillation, she finally was pronounced dead due to kidney failure. Related to her cancer. Um, so then they had to go in there and deal with the body. Because now you have this little weird situation where anyone going in the room is getting sick and passing out. Yeah, what do you do? So then you have the hazmat people come in, right? So they come in in hazmat suits. They're searching the ER for signs of poison gas, toxins, foreign substances, anything. And they can't find anything that suggests why it happened. So the team put the body in a sealed aluminum casket to try to keep everything in there. And they couldn't do an autopsy until about a week later. And they had a, so they could get it like a special room and, and you had to work in a hazmat suit on her body. So the press dubbed Gloria Ramirez as the toxic lady because something about her was poisoning everybody. Right? She ate some bad pepperoni. <laughs> She was KFC. old Le- pizza corner. I don't know. Old pizza corner. Did they ever get to the bottom of it? Yeah. So we'll get there. Oh my gosh. This is a journey. This is neat. Come along. <laughs> that was just a corner. Uh, so <laughs> this is the, the corner. The journey around the corner is, is, is a long corner. Um, so you couldn't do it without getting a lot of issues. So they ended up doing three autopsies. One six days. One... Uh, Three days after her death, one six days, and then six weeks. Yeah, that smelled. Not good. <laughs> no. by, by six weeks, she's really badly deteriorated, so yeah. it's really hard to... Like, more so than a normal person? Yeah. She's, she's past down. the point of cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, you, you weren't going to munch on that. Um, <laughs> so, sorry. when they did, like, the spectrum on her blood, they saw Tylenol, lidocaine, codeine, and Tigan in her system. Now, these drugs make sense. She was a cancer patient. Uh, so Tylenol, lidocaine, and codeine help numb the pain. Tigan is a weird chemical, but it's just anti-nausea medication. Uh, so none of this really explained what was going on. So, but then they noticed she has large amounts of dimethyl sulfone in her blood and tissues. Ah. Now, this occurs naturally in the human body as it breaks down from other things. Um, but once it's in your body, it breaks down quickly. So you never really have a lot of it in you. Um, but it's still registered three times the normal amount of normal people six weeks later. So she had a real big buildup of this chemical. It's a strong presence. Yeah, it's a strong presence. So, so they come out and say, yeah, okay, she died kidney failure due to her cancer. 
Um, and all these substances were too low to explain her death. Um, and then they started doing an investigation. And they said, well, what we come to, our conclusion, is that the hospital staff suffered from too much stress and had a sociogenic illness triggered by an odor. Because remember, she smelled weird. Yeah, she smelled and, and there And their ways of, of kind of prompting this was that, well, most of the people, so they called it hysteria, right? We've all heard that term. They said, well, most of the nurses, nurses were women, right? So they're prone to hysteria. I'm, I'm offended, but okay. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> the offendants, this, these guys, don't worry, we, the, the other people come in and defend. Um, and, that, and that people hadn't eaten dinner. And so they said, it was hysteria. <laughs> Women and hungry bellies. <laughs> They're all hangry. But then, <laughs> but then you have this lady who was in the hospital for two weeks after with like her knees are breaking down and like like real issues. So like, no, it's not hysteria, you dick. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. a real thing. Um, so they say, no, you got to look again. It's not hysteria. Her knees. Yeah. So the reason um, Ramirez... So what happened is... They realized she covered herself in this stuff called DMSO, or dimethyl sulfone. And it was a degreasing agent back in the day that had uh, some properties of anti-inflammatory and healing things. So you got a bum elbow, you rub it on. It was in like muscle creams and things. Like old school A535. Yeah. But then um, it was labeled toxic in 1965. Okay. <laughs> no, you should have known better. Just to recap, 1994. Yeah, yeah. So 1965, but... As all good homeopathic uh, people are, they still kind of hold true to traditions not based in science. <laughs> so, uh, in the 1960s, uh, they, they believed that people still believed they could reduce pain and anxiety, and athletes would still rub it on their skin to relieve aches and pains. But they showed that using this ruins your eyesight, um, and like it, it really messes with your respiratory system. But it had this underground following. Um, so this oily sheen on her body turns out that she was smothering herself in this DSMO. And the only way you could buy it was as a degreasing agent. So like industrial. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like an industrial degreaser. So most people, when you bought it in a muscle cream, it'd be like, you know, 4% DSMO. The the degreasing agent is 99% DSMO. And so this is leaking into her bloodstream. But this isn't still what really caused the issue, they think. Because um, what happens is if this DSMO is exposed to oxygen, it converts to dimethyl sulfate. Okay. And dimethyl sulfate is like a nerve agent. All right. Yeah. So this is something that shuts down your nervous system. This is causes paralysis, causes all these things. So it acts much differently. So dimethyl sulfone isn't great for you, but if you add oxygen, it becomes real, real bad. Real bad. And it doesn't take a lot. So what they think is she gets in the ambulance to go to the hospital. They give her oxygen. They give her oxygen. Now they're overloading her blood with oxygen, and it's loaded full of this DSMO. So then it turns into dimethyl sulfate. So they're drawing the blood out of her. And it takes a very small amount, right? So to the, pollute a room. To pollute a room, yeah. Easy. So it, this is taking out people in the room, right? It's crazy. So this woman with the most toxic blood is like just the smell of her blood on, in a syringe. 
with a little drop hanging off, is like putting people in the hospital for two weeks. Good thing they're already there. So yeah, dimethyl sulfate destroys cells in your eyes, your lungs, your mouth, gets in your body, it causes convulsions, delirium, paralysis. So of the 20 symptoms described by the medical staff, 19 of them match the symptoms of people with exposure to dimethyl sulfate, this extra step with that oxygen. Um, so they came to it. They probably didn't uh, have mass hysteria based on a stressful situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but probably dimethyl sulfate poisoning. Uh, but the, the theory adds up. But actually, to this day, medicine is very divided that on the causes of it. No one has come to a conclusion. Like, this thing seems the most reasonable. She used the screen cream. She got the oxygen. She created. And then that chemical reaction in her blood caused this. But then some people are saying it's too much of a reach. But, uh, so we still don't know. That's amazing. But that's the toxic lady. It's the lady who, uh... Imagine that security camera footage if there was some. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> dropping. You, like, pull out your needle and they just fall over. <laughs> and they pick up the needle and fall over. It's like a Ian Stewart hypnotist show. Maybe they were yeah. hypnotized. When he gave him the card, he goes, can you read that card, please? And they just fall asleep. Yeah. That's yeah, I don't buy it. I think it was the hangry women. Yeah, right. <laughs> that makes the most sense. It, yeah, it's just, I mean, where's my buffet? You're hungry and it's a stressful environment, and sometimes you just gotta fall asleep on the spot. <laughs> well, you, you know what? Next patient comes in, I say we all go to sleep for a while. <laughs> just, just for a while. She's dying, but she'll be okay. Anne's got bad knees. She's <laughs> Yeah, the bad new lady also somehow got hepatitis, which doesn't isn't explained. But it was the nineties; everybody got hepatitis. Yeah, everybody was <laughs> drinking Cuban ice and getting hepatitis. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, there's all those forms of hepatitis. Hepatitis A, you get hepatitis. hepatitis. When I was at Saint Anne, I was told um, by the lady that ran the uh, the rink in the fitness center. She came over one time at pickup hockey. She goes. Tyler, can you ask the guys to stop spitting on the ice? Because we sometimes we use this for uh, like bumps and bruises, the snow from the ice, and they might pick up hepatitis. So I never ever thought about that. I was like, maybe University of Saint Anne uses Cuban ice <laughs> in their hockey rink. That's pretty cool that they transfer. They definitely them. do. They ship it in one big sheet of ice. <laughs> it, it, it was Castro's big plan. Castro's. We're right. gonna, gonna take hepatitis to Claire. All right. So we got two more things to get through this evening, and we're we're starting to run up on the hour. So let's do this. I want to set it. This is the first time we set a schedule where, like, we're going to hit it. Our episode is going to be. Usually it's like, just you complaining that we're not following it. Yeah. So I'm actually quite pleased. So the people were All it took was Jade being an actual, like, well respected podcaster. Oh, man. On to we were on our best shit. behavior tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Benton is going to lead us in with his brand new segment. I would now like to take a moment to warmly welcome you to come along on a journey with Benton Gallagher through histories and mysteries. So, I don't think I've had a story to tell for a while. Uh, yeah, about 28 episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for those people, like, I, I did get a good response from that Dialtov Pass story. 
Yeah, the, the yeah, Russian exactly. hikers. What's going on in the Russian? So anyway, in like a few weeks ago, they actually found more pictures of the hikers. No way. Yeah, and they're not like of what happened. They still don't know what happened. But it's kind of neat to see pictures of the hikers like leaving to go for their hike. And so anyway, I'll post the link to see those pictures for those people who are interested. But looking for a story to tell, like I like the unexplained stories, like not necessarily supernatural, but you like, say mystery and or history. We got history Mulder and, and Scully the on the show here today, <laughs> right? So uh, my favorite place to look for stuff is the World Wars because so much stuff was going on, so many people involved, lots of crazy things happened. And so the one I came across was about a blimp crew that disappeared. Okay. Okay. So blimps, as everybody knows, do not go very fast. Right, but one thing that they were used for uh, in World War II, when ships would set sail. So this one, this blimp was in San Francisco, right? So coast of California, bunch of like, aircraft carriers taking off. They're going to the Pacific, and so a lot of times they'd send them with blimps because obviously they can see a lot further, right, over the horizon than the ships can to start out, and then they'd make their way back. So in 1942, um, in San Francisco, a blimp was following these aircraft carriers out. Right, they're sending these ships off, and the blimp is with them. Uh, at about, uh, where is it here, uh, 7.50 in the morning, um, uh, the blimp was taken off. Everybody was good, and that is when it all kind of went a little bit weird. So what happened was around 9 a.m. after the blimp, because like I said, the blimps don't go very fast, so they're sent out a little bit before. Um, so the blimp's going along, and they get the last transmission from the blimp, saying that there was a large oil slick in the water off the coast that they were going to check out. So if you can picture a blimp flying over to check something out, it is not going super fast, right? Yes. The crew, there was only a two-man crew, because it doesn't take much to fly one of these things. So they go over to the oil slick, and the ships can see them. Like, the, everyone's watching. The, the blimp goes over there. The ships are still going their way. And so the blimp, uh, around 9 a.m., um, just kind of says, all right, like, we're going over to check it out. Stand by. And that's the last they heard from the blimp. Whatsoever. So here's but, Royal Slick. Here's Royal Slick. We're going to look at it. Stand by. And but see, the thing is, it's a blimp. It's very easy to see. So the ship, mm-hmm. like all the witnesses mm-hmm. on the ship, saw the blimp go over there. But then the ship, the blimp shifted back to land. So at around uh, ten, is, is it being tracked? Like, well, I mean, not like. Can yes, you uh, can you visually see it the entire time? Yes. So like, the, every, people are watching this the yeah, whole way because it's a big okay. so, blimp. Yes. Um, so it's just off the coast of San Francisco, which. You know, so, like, people are watching the boats go, and, like, the blimp's there as well. And then, so, the blimp comes back to, it turned and came back towards land. So, about an hour after they said, you know, stand by, we're checking this out, the blimp's seen heading straight towards the Golden Gate Bridge, okay, in, in San Francisco Bay. So, as it gets closer to the bridge, the blimp basically points almost directly straight up, and that's not how... That's not good for a blimp. No, but... It's that's so, not blimp etiquette. So, but... <laughs> the right, so, shouldn't do that. The thing is, the crew at the end of this has disappeared, right? So the argument is like this blimp is going towards um, the bridge and it shifts, it goes directly up, goes over the bridge. So it's argued, obviously, that somebody is piloting. Somebody's driving the blimp. Like the blimp's not doing that on its own. Yes. Okay, so that was around 10 20 in the morning. Around 10 50 in the morning, after it got over the bridge and made some more turns along the coast highway, a couple naval officers who were driving saw the blimp going along. 
So it's still floating around San Francisco. No radio contact. Like, they're trying to so reach out. So is everybody like, blimp gone AWOL? Yeah, like, everyone's like, like yeah. oh, we're going yeah, for a Sunday cruise. It's kind of funny to picture. It's just kind of funny to picture because it's a blimp, right? It's not yeah. going super fast and yeah. it, it's like, huge. So you we can, can see. still see you, blimp, right? <laughs> so anyway. So You're the, not fooling anyone. So Navy officer saw it there around 1020 in the morning. Uh, or sorry, 1050 in the morning. And then a little shortly after that, the blimp started to come down. And there's a couple guys who were witnesses who actually, like, the ropes coming off the blimp were dragging in the water that these two guys were swimming in, like, in a lake. So they're there they're trying to, like, grab onto these ropes for some reason. They're horsing around with right, right? They're trying to pull the blimp This is the blimp down. rodeo! Get it, boys! We're going to in! This is crazy! <laughs> this is awesome! Uh, anyway, the blimp ends, I mean, obviously it's pretty close if the ropes are touching the ground, like, uh, touching the lake. And eventually the blimp hits the ground. Um, in a golf course. Okay. Okay. So, uh, at this point, the Navy, they get a call from somebody at the golf course saying, hey, look, we got your blimp. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's here. Hey, government, get <laughs> yeah. freaking blimp off so, the so go, Undamaged, it just kind of touches no, no, down. No, it, like, it, it kind of crashed down and okay. deflated. It's not right? a PFFT. Um, so like, like Led Zeppelin. But that's the thing. Like if the blimp was deflating, it would have came down a lot faster. This was hours of going quite a distance. And so <laughs> when it crashes, when it deflated, right? I'd be pissed. So they get a call from the golf course saying, look, the blimp has crashed onto the golf course and we've recovered the crew. They're out. Everything's good. So uh, when the Navy dispatched everyone to go to the blimp, um, after the, the trucks took off, they get another phone call, not from the golf course, saying, we can't find the crew. There's your blimp, but we don't have a crew for it. Wait a minute. Okay, recap here. The golf course says we got your crew. Yep, we got your blimp. We got your crew. Everyone's here. They get another anonymous phone call from somebody. They don't. They, they don't know who because they weren't tracking the calls. I mean, this is 1942, so that Fair stuff enough. wasn't really there. Yeah, you can't um, ping a tower. Right? So, so the phone. Navy gets to the golf course, but just before they get there, there's a massive gust of wind that takes the blimp. <laughs> it <laughs> blows the blimp off the golf course. God damn it! <laughs> right, and it like just basically lands then in the neighboring town in the power lines and like crashes into this like street of this town so the police are there rescuers are there and there's no crew there and on this blimp there was two doors one was fully latched shut still but one door was wide open but they don't know if that came from the crash they're all going or whatever it is (laughs) right so now you have this blimp that was supposed to have two men on it that hadn't had radio contact in at this point two hours um, it had flown all around San Francisco and crashed out. And people saying that yes, the crew's there because um, the golf course, I guess, was saying people who called said. Did yeah. they say the crew is healthy and, and, and well, they what? said the crew's here. Like we have your crew, we have your blimp. Doing jumping jacks, right? But then, like I said, <laughs> like not long after, they called, had another phone call, not from the golf course, saying the crew was gone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the weird one. Um, so when they investigated it, they looked at the blimp, they looked, pulled up the maintenance records to see that everything was perfectly fine on the blimp, like the engines were fine, the actual blimp itself, everything was fine before they took off, obviously, you don't know. But then all the safety met, so one of the thoughts is that they fell out of the blimp. But I would argue that it's pretty hard to fall out of a blimp. Unless you were trying well, to. Well, maybe, you know what, they did a sweet move up over the, right. over the over the Golden Gate Bridge. It's like a vertical climb. Right. So, but there's safety stuff in there. Like, so, if the blimp starts to lose pressure, the gas that comes out, like, they have gas masks that deploy like an airplane. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, the pressure's lost and stuff. But those hadn't deployed. So, that Mm -hmm. wasn't the cause Mm -hmm. of why they went down. 
the safe there's a raft on there because they are going out over water the, and parachutes and all that safety stuff was all still on board the blimp when they found it um like i said one of the, th- the biggest theories that they fell out of the door but they said they all lock like the doors lock automatically like the, you know they lock from the inside and everything but the locking mechanisms were all still intact and supposed to be working so the door couldn't have came unlodged. Um, so they really just have no idea where these two naval officers went, why they lost radio. Like, they couldn't, in their calls to the blimp, weren't getting through. Like, their radio signals to the blimp weren't getting through. So it's when they went to check out this oil slick. So there's... The dudes, the dudes fled. They, they, they made away. They, they probably... So they, so they don't know that who made the second... So the biggest... The things mm-hmm. that they could never figure out was who made the second phone call to say the crew wasn't there. Who did the golf course people see... That they mm-hmm. thought was the crew. Lizards, of course. Lizard people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, they just have no idea where those men went, why the blimp went down. Do you want me to solve it? Not to. As, as your resident scientist? They explode. They blimped over the oil. They huffed the fumes for a little while. They got, woo, shit, dog. <laughs> and they didn't we smash. are zoning. And then they zoomed up like, what's this? I'm going to ditch the bridge. And they like dived over it like, ah. It was tight, dog. <laughs> and then they got to the golf course like, man, I'm tired. Let's just go play some golf. And then they got out and then they said, hit ignition and sent it off. <laughs> so one of the other things that they found that was still there that what? was working. That's not science. That? Yeah, that's that? not real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so blimps have. That's um, based on research. Blimps have a way, like back then in the war especially, they had a way to contact the boats, like the massive ships, if their radio wasn't working. They could send out flares, or there was another way they could contact any surface ships, and that was working fine. But they had never nobody reached never out to anybody because they're on a golf course. They're just trying to play around a golf. Yeah, yeah. Because they're high off. Of I don't see any boats to talk to out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was weird that because like plane crash, people disappearing, things are different. I can. So I can. In fact, it's a blimp. I can imagine the course marshal in his golf cart, like his 1940-whatever <laughs> golf cart. Being, Man. <laughs> well, obviously it's a blimp, sir. Uh, it's really you got two soldiers, hands on their hips. Man, that was messed up. We're on a golf course. Did you see how we dodged the bridge? <laughs> that was crazy shit. But I don't, I'm high on fumes. I mean, I was, I was thinking it was like time travelers or aliens, but... Oh, time travelers. They fell into a different time vortex. So, one of the theories Same I saw, the after I found this article, uh, one that I did read, a theory, when I looked it up, was... Um, Signal jamming from the Nazis because there is a lot of silly Nazis. There's a lot of evidence to show that the Nazis were very close to the U.S., like just off the coast of Newfoundland here. Like U boats were found and things like that, but the technology okay. really wasn't there. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe. I do know that but Nazis like to jam, <laughs> <laughs> right? But this still doesn't. So that like that might explain it's a stretch, but it might explain why their radio calls to the blimp weren't working. Fair enough, but doesn't explain where, where the soldiers went. Like, right. You know what? If they don't want to listen to us, we don't want to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing golf. <laughs> and they struggle. And, so, and then the other weird thing that came hands out of Inverted hands on hips. Yeah. The other weird front. thing that came out was that the crew was supposed to be three people, um, but one guy bailed right before. He said he just didn't feel right or something about the flight. They, they didn't know each other, so like... Did these other two guys were they spies? Were they and the other two guys really knew each other? <laughs> Barely. Maybe that's they ran the case. Yeah. Did they jump out? Of they the lived blimp? happily. Ever Did they after. jump out of the blimp when there was no oil slick and hopped in a U boat and took back off? Were they oh, German spies? A bunch of Nazis in a blimp, or just like the Tuscan Islands? Yes. <laughs> there was a spy out there. 
Anyway, that's my story. That's my his my history. You history, history, history more often. I really enjoy yeah, that. No, that's what I mean. All right, so just <laughs> so the listeners know, when we're holding the stand, you can look forward to a Benton history mystery every week. So it's pressure. Yeah, it is. So. Our last little segment and the last little bit of business we got to get through is for one of our greatest sponsors who's ever lived, Yarma Scales. You need something weighed. We got to get weighed. So if Jade, Jade, sorry. Are you about to ask me how much I weigh? <laughs> Not whatsoever. I would never. <laughs> Have you ever had 15 pounds of jelly beans and wondered how much does that weigh? Just last week. Just last week. Well, no, you don't have to go. Yarma scales. Because they do industrial scales for industrial problems. And this week's weigh-in question is a doozy. Probably one of the most philosophical ones. Uh, and that's why I wanted this episode to go a little longer. Because I think we need to get into this. And I think you're a, a, a great person to get into it with. Is suffering a necessary part of humanity? And... What would people who had never suffered be like? Let's define suffering. Can't start out. There's Can't not really know. a definition for it. Unpleasant like, experiences, us as general. Yeah, but uh, unpleasant for who? For you, for me, it's going to be different. Physical and emotional pain. Physical so and emotional pain. Yeah, that's a better definition. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's why you're here. It's <laughs> simple, simple as that. <laughs> okay. So, is it... I think, like, is it necessary, I guess the question is, is it necessary to suffer to be a human? Um, or to be, my question would be, if I, if I tweaked it, to be a decent human. And well, that makes what would people who had never suffered be like? I think suffering for somebody to be a decent human is 100% necessary because that gives you compassion for others. Mm-hmm. And without that, like, if you've never been through anything at all, you have no idea what it's like for somebody that you know going through something. So you would have no idea how to talk to them about it, how to help them, support them, or anything like that. So you're saying that even if if someone has, has lived more of a privileged life with a level of non-suffering, they're not able to recognize suffering in another person? Not easily, no. Craig Kilberger? Craig Kilberger? Craig Kilberger. We day. Me to we. He's a... He's a First world kid read the newspaper. Holy shit! These kids are making. Clothes. He started uh, Pink Shirt Day, right? He started. Uh, no, no, not Pink no, Shirt Day. No, he's not Pink Shirt that's, Day. Uh, that's another one. So, so he's the guy that started Free the Children, and, yeah. he, and, he, and he traveled at the age of what is it, twelve? Over had a guide. Uh, his parents weren't there. I don't understand how this worked. But he took a year out of school and he traveled to like India. What he was twelve. Yeah, he, no, he I was going down young. the street to Ben's house with a call mom coming That's what I'm saying. <laughs> People in Toronto do their thing. So, yeah, he went and he found kids that are like sifting through syringes and, and he went into all these, these sweatshops. Um, so, he's a kid that now I, I'm, I'm obviously assuming he didn't have, have some of that kind of suffering himself. Um, but, yeah, he, he, was, he was a guy from greater Toronto area, from what I understand. And he's like, I want to go. Check this out, and he came back and started this whole world movement. Yeah, but can you? But I, I'll agree. Like personally, I think I think you need to you need to have some you need to overcome something to grow. You need to you need to like the old line of adversity makes some people uh, turns adversity or no a, a diamond is only coal under pressure or adversity causes some yeah. to break and others to break records. Like you need to overcome adversity to become more than what you are. 
Yeah. And suffering kind of is that. Being challenged. Okay. How can you have compassion or a healthy level of compassion without first suffering? Okay. And if you don't suffer, I feel like you just would have a world full of Donald Trumps. <laughs> entitlement. <laughs> yeah. Way too much entitlement. That's true. <laughs> That's true. The lack like people's lack of suffering, they have that entitlement because they haven't had any of that in their life. Generationally, are we trying to provide a life of like as parents, are we trying to create a life with the least amount of suffering? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and 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 I don't. But think... did, but our parents would have done the same. Yeah. They would have done the same. Oh my gosh! And well, you look at from the baby boomer generation. They grew up in a world which was post World War, where there was some suffering going on. Whether or not you were in the war, you knew that shit was going down. And that whole generation was like, "Holy shit! Let's make sure that doesn't happen again." So they grew up making sure that our kids have to have a better go than we did. And now we're... But it's, I think it's different for parents and non-parents. Because as parents, we generally try to give our kids a life better than what we have. Not to take anything away from our parents, but you try to do what you can. Generally. And we can Not all into, parents. We can get into philosophical questions about parenting, too. It's like, do you, do you gently, not necessarily make your kids suffer, but do you provide challenges for your kids so that you know that they will come out greater in the, on the other side? Hundred percent. You know, I think we, the... like I said, we grew up across the street, and we had pretty similar upbringings with the, the rules in our homes and, and whatnot. I would say than you. He could watch more uh, action movies. Action than movies and action. Ben would have to watch movies. I watched Rush <laughs> Hour at his house. Um, <laughs> but apparently, like, not just. I don't want to say our parents didn't make it easy for us, um, but like we, like, out of six kids with three brothers in each family, we all went on. Post secondary, like not to say that's successful, but we all went on to get careers and, and do all this stuff. I, I don't know. Yeah. See, I guess my measure is not in a career. Itself. No, but like when when I when I look at this question, like I'm looking at your ability to identify with humanity. Um, and now a lot of people, you can do a lot, and I think like as a teacher, if you're really good at identifying with humanity, you're going to go far as a teacher, right? Um, and I had a great conversation and what made me think of this question was I was staying with a lady and her son had OCD or OCD which one's that no ODD oppositional oppositional defiance disorder her mother just died and she's like what the fuck like and that, that was her words it's like everything around me is terrible and we and like she was grieving the loss of her mother and then we just had this three-hour conversation about suffering. And it was amazing. Because, like, I haven't suffered. I Yes, I've had my love times. I've had hard times. Um, but, like, this this lady here was like, what's the point of all this stuff I'm going through? And we really worked it out and talked about it. And it's this whole idea, like, no one who's ever done anything great hasn't gone through an immense amount of suffering. Right? Um and suffering is, as you guys said, is that fire that kind of refines you into that, into that being that, that is able to achieve those new levels, is, is to be able to reach new people. And it gives you the empathy to see the suffering in others so you can then help that suffering in others. And, like, and you think about some people that don't really have suffering, the Donald Trumps, the rich kids, 
the, the people who have never really had many hurdles in their lives, they're completely useless. Right? Like in in and and yes, they might have a lot of status, and yes, they might have everything given to them, but like if you boil them down to a human being and like, hey, it's the end of the world, let's all survive together, they're useless. And it's like it's literally the one of the coolest things, and, and I'm not really as religious as I am anymore, like as I was, but it was rejoice in your suffering. Mm. That that statement always spoke to me. Uh, and I thought it was a is a great because it's like in your suffering is when you become better. It's when you grow. It's when you get to be better than you are. It's when you become a fucking badass. <laughs> Right? Like that's, th- those are the times. The issue is though, some people have too much suffering and it traps them. Right? And like, cause I, I, I grew up privileged. Like I can't, like I had a lot of suffering. Um, and I know my parents wanted me to like go on my own way and, and find my stuff out, but like I still had two loving parents. But like you have to look at the other kind of spectrums of like, they have too much suffering where you can't see the joy in it. You can't see the way out of it because their suffering is so incredibly dark and terrible. And so like, or then you have the opposite of like, <laughs> my my driver was late on Tuesday. You know, like that kind of suffering. And like, at the end of the day, like screw those guys. But as a society, we should focus on the people that have so much darkness around them that like, yes, suffering makes you better, but too much destroys you. But it's, what is too much? If I drown in three feet of water and you drown in six, we're both dead. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Yeah. But it's sometimes, like, when it comes to trauma and early childhood trauma, some people's brains are literally hardwired differently than ours. Yes. Because they've grown up either in a war zone, you know, or yeah. even, a, like, domestic abuse can be considered equal to what would be a war zone if a child grew up. Yeah, the lack of safety and and the lack, like... And so sometimes they just don't have the hard wiring to overcome the suffering. They just don't. And whereas me, myself, I tend to take any of my suffering and turn turn it into an opportunity for growth. And I don't... I'm not somebody who stays depressed long. You know, I've had my times, we all have, but but even when I'm down, I know I'm like, okay, it's not going to be this way forever versus some people who are like, this is my life, I'm a broken human, this is my normal, like, you know, so. And that's the key is, is to be able to identify those people to try to uplift them. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying, like, because like us in this room maybe we're all like yes we've been through some stuff and we've overcome it and I think it's made us better for it but I think we all know someone that's been buried mm-hmm. and uh, like, like that's our job as people is to lift them up and, and then if you lift those people up though like god damn what can they do because back like to- if you crawl out of those ashes the phoenix from the ashes and like back, like when you said the religious thing I kind of laughed a little because like we both grew up in the Catholic church Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Like we went to church all the time, Sunday school, all that fun stuff. Um, but I do, I am jealous of people who are still religious in a sense. Like when I think for myself, like in the last 12 years, I've lost way too many people that I've been super close with. Yeah. Right. And so like dealing with death for me right now is not super easy. And religious people can, if they have that to yeah. kind of 
help them. And I'm like, yeah. and I see, and like for Danny, like, uh, you know, she, uh, she, uh, the first funeral she had went to was with me, right? Yeah. And last, like, you know, she hadn't been to one, and I, I don't know how many I've been to now. And it's like, she kind of said that she kind of brought that to my attention. Was like, you know, when somebody's religious, they just, it, for some reason, it makes more sense to them. Yeah, we yeah, see it around the bend. But I don't know, like, when I think of suffering, like, there's, to me, there's different types, right? Like, we, like, I say we as in you and I, because I knew me growing up. Yeah. But like, we didn't suffer in a family, like, financially, yeah, or, yeah. like, the domestic abuse. Very stuff. privileged. We, yeah. we were. We absolutely yeah. were. Um, but, like I said, we suffered differently. Yep. Right? So that's why, like, when I said that you need to have something, some type of suffering to understand how people are feeling and how to help them because without that you like you said those kids you know you bring up rich kids and what they're like like i worked at a rich kid summer camp and you worked at a school like that and i remember the kids had to write letters home i think i've said this before like a lot of the kids they were great kids but they grew up way like they're the one percent of the world yeah these kids right and i just remember like the kids would have to write letters home but there was one kid who would write letters to like his his maid at his house because he had like no relationship with his parents. Yeah. Right. So I mean, there is the rare case, but that's not the majority of it. Yeah, there is. There's people who can be raised privileged who can still have empathy. Oh, so, like, so, yeah, so yeah, being yeah. able to. But, well, yeah. I do believe honestly, it's hard unless they're self-made. I I like if they're if, if, I have if my doubts. Like yeah. I have, I have my doubts that. If you were born into extreme wealth and you've got a couple generations of money, I think it would take a miracle for you to become an empathetic person. Like, I think to not be a total piece of shit, right? I, I really do because, like, my only saving grace of not me being a total piece of shit is that my parents grew up poor. And then they, then when they raised me, they didn't raise me like a rich kid because I, I, I had means. Um, my, my parents like grew up no and like they're not gonna like give me everything and and I look at my friends and their parents are giving into them like but if you get a couple generations of real wealth I feel like they lose all their humanity I think you know you get in that sociopathic evil you know bubble um, you do get in the bubble Absolutely. yeah um, I agree yeah you get into that that one percent mindset yeah mindset and yes. I think you really lose your humanity. And your ability to connect with people. It's interesting what you said about the religion, though. Um, I watched a show earlier today on Netflix, I Am a Killer. Have you seen it? I, saw, I haven't seen no. it, but I, I, the, I do want to watch it. The first episode, um, the so uh, this woman kills her boyfriend. She's been with this guy for 24 days. Like, they're druggies, they drink or whatever. The boyfriend's mother, within eight or nine months completely forgave her completely and and she was real religious mm-hmm. and i had that kind of same moment of like wow i almost miss the ability mm-hmm. to do that i think i'm, envi- I'm envious of that at this yeah. point in my life for because saying i was the same i was yeah. brought up very religiously and i've yeah. lost a lot of it or thrown a lot of it away i should yeah. say probably and but there was that moment of like she just had so much goodness in her heart mm-hmm. And I don't know if I could do that the same way that she did. No, I watched something similar to that where yeah. a kid was killed and the family forgave the guy who did it. Yeah. Like in a drinking and driving 
accident and stuff, but I'm like, I don't know if I could get there ever in my life. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to carry. It's a big weight. Hatred is heavy. Yeah. But hatred, all it does is poison you. Mm. Like, my son, he's four, but he knows hate is a bad word in our house. Mm-hmm. Like, they said it on Peppa Pig the other day, and I had never heard it on that show, but he looked at Danny and was like, oh, mama, that's a bad word. Mm-hmm. Danny Peppa Pig, right? <laughs> Peppa Pig ruined the mind for you. My big thing, and I, I don't know how this will come across to listeners, um... This kind of it's kind of branching out a bit, but based on kind of what we're talking about, um, we're in an interesting shift right now where there's a pushback against religion, right? Um, but it's not going anywhere. It's hard to say, man. Like church, you go to Quebec, and all the churches has to be closed except for mass time because they're getting all spray painted with pentagrams. You know, like like there is a pushback against religion. And, and I can understand the pushback against religion for a lot of people. Say that for another episode. But I guess my final statement is like, so we're going to soon have generations raised without religion. Where even if like you may not be religious now, but you were raised in the church, and where does morality come from within you? Mm-hmm. And in the next generation, an interesting question is going to be, where is morality going to come from? Without religion? Without religion. Maybe, and, and, and I really, like, I really hope it's there. Is law the same as morality? As no. Because what purpose does morality serve, is my question. And what is morality to each person? Because you may say, to have good morals, you need to button up, don't show any skin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, like, how do you define morality, I guess, like, right? I mean, I, we, we boil it all down to that golden rule. Treat others as you would be treated. Like, mm-hmm. it, like it, I really hope that that, whether or not religions carry on or they don't, I really hope that golden rule gets passed on, mm-hmm. right? And that be- didn't come from Because, like, even, like, the people who are, like, like, religious and, like, you know, you sinner, you're showing your cleavage or you're showing your thighs, like ankles. Well, it's like, like if you, you, if you boil it back, like Absolutely. Jesus was hanging out with prostitutes and like showed them love. You know, like so everyone poisons all that. You know, that's that's humanity. But I'm just like I'm hoping that we still need that base morality, and I and I'm hoping that deep down it comes from within people. And I guess we'll find that out as as things change. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, think, I think you might see the death, maybe not the total death, but the death of organized religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't yep. think you'll see the death of spirituality. It's too important. And in yeah. most people, maybe not most people, but a lot of people who aren't religious or don't attend church still have some kind of connection with something bigger than themselves. Yeah. So You understand that. Holy shit, it's infinite. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's, tiny. A, that's a big thought. Yeah, some people, it's just, it's really cool to be an atheist, so. I'm an atheist, bro. Be atheist, but but have a, have yeah. a positive Shut message to go to. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. <laughs> Dang, bad. <laughs> Sorry, that's not he listened, so. Yeah. Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Anyway. It's just a bunch of questions we'll never know. Anyway, suffering, I think we can agree, it's good, as long as it's not too much. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you don't have enough, you're probably a dick. (laughs) 
Good night, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for listening. And as always, like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. And be on the lookout for the Barncast Barn Burner. Stay tuned for the Barncast Barn Burner tickets on Eventbrite. And stay tuned for your wild conversations. Do you know when they're just pulling back out? or? Um, I'm thinking probably around April. So around right. April. Get ready for another juicy film. I always thought it was wet and wild conversations, but it's just wild. Just wild. <laughs> just wild. You can leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wild conversations with Jay Malone. Thank you so much for coming out. We'd love to have you back on. You have fun? Yes, I did. All right. And all of the Put people the that are only here for Jade, uh, please stick around for the next episode. Good night.